Good morning, everybody. You feeling good? All right, it's good to be in God's house today, and we're excited to be in this sermon series all summer long, Extraordinary Jesus, and we've been looking at the characters and qualities of Jesus and how Jesus shows us how to love, he shows us how to give freedom, and he gives freedom to ourselves as well, and he's a father figure, and this is uh, really a cool series, and we've kind of taken a break in this sermon series and looking at the not-so-nice things that Jesus said. We're calling this de-nicing Jesus, and a lot of times we look at Jesus and we look at one side of his character as he is a loving God, he's compassionate, full of grace and mercy, and that's all true. And a lot of times we don't look at the other side of Jesus, where like Jesus is flipping over money changers tables. I mean, he is literally telling uh, Peter, hey, get behind me, Satan. Like there's another side of Jesus that we kind of want to look at and, and get you the whole picture of who Jesus is. He really is extraordinary. And so there's a, a couple statements in the Bible uh, this morning that I'm going to take and kind of unpack for you that, that weren't really so nice. And so three sections of scripture and my encouragement for you to today is that you will need to prayfully consider, listen, and work out your salvation with fear and trembling. These are not my words. These are God's word. These, these are not my opinions. This is what the Bible says. And uh, let me say this as we, as we start reading these statements. There are some um, parts in the Bible that are just really difficult and confusing to understand. Sometimes it's difficult to understand because we don't like what it has to say. Like if it was up to me, I'd cut and paste a lot of things out of the Bible because I just don't like what it has to say. But there's also uh, parts of the scripture where it's just really difficult to understand because it's just really difficult to understand. And so we're gonna look at three of these statements that Jesus said. The first one, if you have a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 25. Verse 14, we're going to be looking at the parable of the talents. And this is a very difficult statement that Jesus says. And in verse 14, it says, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. The master, the man, represents God. God is a wealthy God. Let me say this. Your view of God will determine the way you live your life, the what, what you believe, the way that you pray. If you think God is a poor God, You'll never ask God for anything. But if you think God runs out of money, if you think God runs out of abilities and talents and, and, and compassion, you'll always live a life of fear. But when you realize that God is a wealthy God, that he's wealthy with forgiveness, that he's wealthy with love, that he's wealthy with, with compassion. Come on, how many of you thankful that we serve a wealthy God, not a poor God in this place? That the economy of God is not contingent on the economy of America. That he is more than able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or hope for and dream of. And my personal view of God will determine the way I husband my wife, Jessica. My view of God will determine the way I love my little girl, Adeline. My view of God will determine how much patience I have with people who just push my buttons. If I view God as a God who runs out of patience, then I'm going to lose patience with people in my life. If I view God as a, a God who runs out of forgiveness, then I'm not going to really forgive people who have, who have hurt me. In verse 15 in this parable, it says, To the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to the other one each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. All of us in this room have been given something. My first point for you today is you gotta use what you got. You gotta use what you got. You have been given something. You've got something. Turn to the person next to you and say, you got something. 
Come on, you got something. Some of you are like, I don't feel like I got anything. And that's because you're just looking at what other people have and you're comparing. You wish they, you had what they had. You've got something. Some of you in the room, you got the gift to sing. Like I, I love singing for you guys every weekend because you got some good voices, all right? I want you to sing a little bit louder. I love it. Some of you have the gift of uh, making a really good meal. And I'm thinking, where's my invite? Invite me over, okay? I wanna, I wanna taste some of that good food. Some of you have the gift to like ability to fix anything and everything, all right? Like, that is not my gift. My father-in-law has that gift, and I'll tell you how bad that gift is that I can't fix anything. Uh, yeah, at Home Depot, they do this like first Saturday of the month, you're able to take your kids and you're able to build a project like out of like little wood, and, and they built like a treasure box yesterday. And I was struggling just to build that. Like all these parents are like, yeah, I got this. And I'm over here like, man, I'm struggling. I'm on a struggle bus right here, all right? Like it's tough, but man, I'm not gonna compare my gift. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna live in my whole life envious of other people's gifts. I'm gonna look at the gifts that God has given me and I'm gonna use what I got. I'm gonna rock what I got. Come on, can you rock your gifts today? Come on, come on, move your shoulders a little bit. Some of you need to wake up. Hey, did you know that your body is a gift from God? Some of you are like, I know it is. <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't feel like my body's a gift from God. <laughs> no one told me when I turned 30 that when I wake up in the morning, all, every single bone in my body begins to crack. And I'm like, man, this is stinks. <laughs> I mean, it's hard being in your 30s. Some of you are like, wait till you get 50. <laughs> but man, you got to rock what you got. Use the gifts that God has given you. And when you look at the gifts and the talents that God has given you and you begin to see that everything that you've been given has been given to you by God, you'll steward those gifts and you'll start to ask God, what can I do for you with the gifts and talents that I've given you? And in verse uh, 15, it still says, he says, to the one he gave five talents, another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And what I realize in this parable is God does not judge me according to someone else's talents. No, he judges me according to the talents he's given me. God is not judging me on my dad's calling. My dad has been in full-time ministry for 30 plus years. And if, you, if you're a PK, you kind of grow up in like the shadow of your parents. And so I, I always kind of viewed that. And I was always kind of skeptical. Like I'm not living in my dad's calling. I don't feel called. My dad's uh, calling is to minister to people who have been addicted to drugs and alcohol. And he helps them find freedom through a residential program. And he's been doing that for 30 plus years. That's his calling. God's not gonna judge me on my dad's calling. My calling was to go into full-time pastoral church ministry. And I remember going to a youth summer camp um, and it was at the very end, I was a senior in high school. I didn't go to any of the camps until my senior year of high school. And I remember I was at this crossroads where I, I was gonna, I wanted to be like a, a, a newscaster. And so I was like, okay, I think I'm gonna do that. And, uh, but I didn't really know what God was calling me to do. And I remember very clearly at the youth service that God was calling me to go into full-time pastoral uh, church ministry. And now almost at a decade of being in full-time ministry, I'm so glad that I said yes to that calling. And, and I remember, I, I don't live in my dad's calling. God is not going to judge me in my dad's calling. He's going to judge me on the calling that he's placed in my life. He's calling us to be obedient to the gifts and the talents that he's given you. 
And many of us like to compare our gifts with other people, right? We play the comparison game. And I say this many times, that comparison is a killer towards your purpose. If all you do is compare your gifts and talents with other people, you'll never live in the quality and the potential that God has for your life if you continue to compare your gifts with others. All of us in this room have gifts, talents, dreams, anointings, callings to do with your life that are different than my calling. All of us have different gifts and God is not gonna compare at the end of your life what you did with someone else's gift. God is gonna ask you, what did you do with the ideas and the visions and the dreams that I gave you? You will have to give an account before God and say, God, this is what I did with my time. This is what I did with my talents. This is what I did with my gifts. He's not comparing you with other people's gifts. What are you doing with your money? What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your title? What are you doing with the trials that God has placed in your life? Could it be that God has given you trials and difficult seasons to, to, to build up your character? to develop a stronger relationship with Jesus? What are you doing with the current thing that you are walking through right now? And I used to think when I read this parable that God was unfair. I'm like, God, why did you give one guy five? Why did you give the other guy two? Why did you give the one uh, guy just the one talent, right? Like, why did he do that? Did you like one better than the other? Did God have, does God have favorites? And if you have a Bible, I, I read this one section right here, circle it or underline it, according to his ability. This parable is about stewardship. My ability is my responsibility. You're responsible for your ability, not someone else's responsibility. How many wanna get a better life? How many wanna be a better spouse? How many wanna be a better parent? How many wanna get promoted? How many wanna be a better coworker? How many wanna see God bless you in all areas of your life? You are responsible for your ability, not anyone else's. And it's up to you how far you want to go in this life. God has given you gifts and dreams and abilities and talents and many of us are just not tapping in to the potential that God has for you. And I used to think, man, God, why did you give five? Why did you give two to one and one to the other? And God looks at people and he looks at the man and he says, I'm gonna give you five because you've been faithful in these areas. So I'm gonna give you five and you've been faithful in these areas. So I'm gonna give you two and you've been faithful in this area and I'm gonna give you one and I'm gonna see how you multiply that one talent. What are you doing with your current abilities? Are you maximizing the most? Are you making the most of the job that God has given you? Are you being faithful there? Are you being faithful to the job that God has called you to do? And God's saying, man, I just want, to, I, want to, I want to multiply what I have given you. Some of you are just holding back. And, and some of us, some of us are asking God to bless something that we're not even working on ourselves. Some of us are asking, God, bless the company. Bless my, my, my business. Well, God's like, man, if you wake up a little bit earlier, if you meet with your supervisors, man, if you, if you start to cut all the unproductive stuff out of your life, God's like, man, I want to give you another 20 bags of gold. I want to give you another company. I want to give you another thousand more employees. And with that comes a lot more headaches and heartaches. And let me just say this. God wouldn't give you what you had right now if he didn't think you could handle it. Come on, somebody. That's good. You can handle what God has given you. 
God's like, some of you are like, I don't know. I got four kids under the age of five. How do I do this? You know, you can handle it. God is, God believes in you. He, you can do it. And so what are you doing with the opportunities that God is introducing you? And so the master, he goes on this journey. And a couple thoughts about this. He, he, he's given them something, all right? And all of us have been given something. And the second thing we need to realize is that what we have been given is not ours, but it's God's. When you realize that everything that you have been given on this earth is God's, it's not anything that you did. It's not the charisma that you have, the talents that you have. It's been given to you by God. That raise you got last week, that promotion you got last week, the wife that you have, the husband you have, the kids that you have, it's all been given to you by God. And it's how you are stewarding the things that God has given you. Are you a maintainer or a multiplier? That's the question. Are you just maintaining it or are you gonna multiply what God has given you? Verse 16, this is what it says. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. All right, so I love this. The guy with five bags of gold, he didn't compare his other bag of gold with the other guys. He just used what he had right then and there and it multiplied. He used what he had. Some of us want God to multiply but we're not willing to release what God has given us right now. Some of us are waiting for God to give us more and God is saying, man, just use what you have right now and I want to see what I can do with it. Some of us are, God is ask, some of us are asking God to multiply our finances, but we're not willing to release it into the kingdom of God. Not willing to tithe. And God's saying, man, just use what you have right now. Verse 17, in the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But the one who had received the one talent went away, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. In verse 19, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. So after a long time, listen, God has given you time to work on your abilities and your talents. He's given you time to forgive. But how many know that time flies? and it flies fast. God will come back one day and you will have to give an account of what did you do with the time and the gifts and the talents that he's given you. And we can't play the excuse game. Well, I just stopped working on it. I stopped writing that book that I really wanted to write because people just didn't really see the vision behind it. I just stopped, you know, going, stopped working really hard because I wasn't gonna go anywhere in the company anyway. Listen, God's not asking for an excuse. At the end of your life, he's gonna ask you, what did you do? Did you make the most? Did you multiply the gifts and the talents that I have given you? And so verse 20, this is what it says. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents saying, master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You've been faithful with a few things and I will put you in charge of many things, enter into the joy of your master. Let me say this, the greatest title that you will ever receive is servant. It's not CEO, it's not COO, it is servant. Are you being faithful? in the job that God has given you? Are you being faithful to not gossip about your boss behind their back? Are you being faithful to not gossip about your coworkers behind their back? Are you being faithful with what God has given you right now? Verse 22, 
says, also the one who received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted me with, with, with two talents and I've gained two more. His master said, well done, good and faithful slave. Been faithful in a few, I'm gonna put you in charge of many. But the last guy said, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See what I have is yours. So the last guy's like, okay, I didn't, I didn't gain any money. I just kept his money. I was a maintainer. I maintained his money. And so I'm gonna give back his one talent. And, I, and he thinks the master is gonna be happy. Listen, I'm telling you, at the beginning of this message, I said, your view of God will determine how you live your life. Some of you are living in the danger of being too safe. And you're like, that's an oxymoron. How is being safe dangerous? Some of you, God is asking you to step out and make an uncomfortable decision or step out and do something that's out of your comfort zone and you're resisting it. Some of you, God is asking you to write that check and it might stretch your finances a little bit, but God's saying, just do it and trust me. Some of you playing it too safe. And this is what happens when you play it too safe. This is what the master said, which is Jesus. He answers him and said, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has more shall be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does shall be taken away. Verse 30, this is what Jesus says. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness in that place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Man, I read that this week studying that. I'm like, man, you gotta use what you got. You're gonna give an account one day of what you have been given in your life. All of us have gifts and talents and dreams and visions and ideas. And how are you stewarding that? and maximizing, are you multiplying it into the kingdom of God? Some of us have played the excuse game far too long and made excuses of why we can't serve. I'm too busy, I got a lot of things going on. My family's taking up, up a lot of time. Newsflash, everybody's busy. If I hear one more person say, I'm busy, listen, you're not telling me, you're telling God. You're saying, no, nah, I can't do it because I'm too busy. Some of us are just plain lazy. It says, you wicked, lazy slave. One of the church fathers said that laziness, slothfulness is one of the greatest sins a person can have. Some of you just being plain lazy and say, I just, I'm good, I'm tired. I, don't, I just don't feel like doing it. You will one day have to give an account to Christ because every single one of us here in this room have been given a gift and a talent and it's how you're using. Are you a maintainer or are you multiplying it? All right, so you gotta use what you got. Second, uh, this difficult statement that Jesus said is found in Matthew 18, 21. And he deals with this principle about forgiveness. Forgiveness leads to freedom is my second point. And he talks about this parable in Matthew chapter 18. He talks about a guy who had been forgiven such a huge debt. And uh, the, the master goes to the guy and says, hey, you owe me a lot of money. Like you owe me a million dollar debt. And, and the servant who owes this money, he's like, no, no, please, 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 gets on his hands and knees and begs the master, I can't pay the debt, I can't pay it, I'll never be able to do it, please show mercy and forgive it. And so the master sees the, the sincerity of the, of the, of the servant and the, and, the, and the sincerity of his heart, and he says, you're right, I know you can't pay the debt. You'll never be able to pay the debt, but here's what I'm gonna do for you. I'm gonna pay the debt for you, and I'm gonna wipe it clean. 
and I'm going to start you new. And that would be a great end to the story. But the servant who had just been forgiven such a large debt goes out and he finds somebody who like owes him like 10 bucks. And he says, you better pay up. or I'm going to throw your wife and your kids into prison if you don't pay up. And so the, the, the master finds out about this guy and he's like, man, how could you do that? I've forgiven you such a huge debt. Why would you do that? I've forgiven you of so much junk. And now you're going back and saying, well, no, 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 pay up. And here's what the master said to this, to this servant. And his Lord was moved with anger in verse 34, handing him over to the tortures until he should repay all that was owed him. And he says this, verse 35, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother in your heart. How can we expect the mercy of God when we hold on to angry grudges all the time? Lord, I need mercy, but I'm not letting him off the hook. God's saying, man, you're not letting yourself off the hook either. The longer you hold on to unforgiveness, you are literally blocking the blessings of God in your life. It's not hindering them, it's hindering you. It's choking the life out of you because you can't forgive. People are gonna hurt you. You're like, Josh, I did not come to church to hear this. Give me something positive, right? People are gonna hurt you. The truth is because people are people. People are gonna disappoint you. They're gonna let you down. You're gonna go out of your way and you're gonna do something great for them and they're not gonna return the favor back. And what ends up happening, if you're not careful, is that you will start to pack grudges and, 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 and resentment and bitterness like, I can't believe they didn't do the favor back to me. I can't believe they did this to me. And what ends up happening is you start to take resentment and unforgiveness. And catch this, what you take from one season of your life will affect the next season even greater than the last. How important is it to forgive? Your whole next season. Hinges on whether or not you can learn this thought, this principle of how to forgive and forgive the people that have really, really hurt you. How many father sons relationships are broken? How many mother-daughter's relationships are broken? How much of our world's pain is really linked and tied to this idea of forgiveness? How many marriages have ended in divorce because they just can't learn to forgive each other? And we wanna preach about faith and miracles and having a better life and, and, and yeah, that's all great, but God is saying, yeah, you can memorize the whole Bible, but man, if you don't have love in your heart, if you cannot forgive your brother or sister in Christ or whoever has hurt you, it means nothing to me. I mean, you can have all the money in the world, but if you don't have love and forgiveness in your heart, it literally means nothing to God. Matthew 18, 21. Peter is asking Jesus, hey, hey, Jesus, how often shall I forgive my brother who sins against me, right? And Peter's like, seven times. That's a good number, right? Because seven's a spiritual number. He's like, seven times? And, and Jesus is like, no, no, no. I want you to forgive your brother, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And if you're good at math, that's 490 times. That's a little extreme, Jesus. Like, can I cap forgiveness at some point? And Jesus is trying to make the point that you shouldn't cap forgiveness. You shouldn't put a lid on forgiveness because if you will live with forgiveness in your heart, you can take the limits of what God wants to do in your life. God wants to take you to a new level further in your relationship with Jesus, but you're always gonna stay at this level if you cannot learn to forgive the petty little things. 
He wants to take you further. He wants to give you more. He wants to bless you more. He wants to give you an abundance and multiply. But if you cannot learn to forgive, you'll always stay here. Why is it so hard to forgive? I think that's what Peter's really asking Jesus. And I'll tell you, this is a difficult one. Man, I served in the church world for almost 10 years. My family's been in the church ministry for 30 plus years. I've seen people come and go. People who I've served alongside of, people who I thought had my back, stabbed me in the back. I mean, it's tough. It, it, it is really tough to forgive and let things go. People who have just damaged your heart so much and you, you trust them and, and, and then they just go behind your back. It's hard, especially people who have hurt my family. It's really, really difficult. And here's the point, forgiveness doesn't dismiss what they've done. Forgiveness doesn't give them a permission slip or a pass to keep hurting you. Forgiveness really frees you on the inside. It frees you from the bitterness and the hurt and the resentment and the grudge that you're holding against them. And it sets you free on the inside so that you can live free on the outside. The things that people have said to you are heavy. It's a weighty thing. The people, the things that people have robbed you of, it's, it's, it's a weighty, weighty thing. And here's what happens with unforgiveness. What happens is, is that you start to live in bondage. And God is saying, man, I, I want you to be the mom I've called you to be. I want you to be the, the husband I've called you to be. I want you to be the person that I've called you to be, but you can't do it because you just live with this bitterness and resentment and grudges against other people. And it's literally keeping you locked up. And we'll forgive the petty things, the small things, but we won't forgive the big things, right? We won't forgive the hospital that, that damaged my dad and now my dad's in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. We won't forgive the hospital who couldn't save my mom from cancer. We won't forgive the mom whose son bullied my son and now my son's growing up with a life of insecurity. We won't forgive the company that let my spouse go after 25 years. We won't forget especially the church that hurt me. No, 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 we can't do that. They hurt me, they're supposed to be a church. You're saying you don't know what they did to us, they owe us, Josh. And listen, as long as you live with that mentality, that mindset of they owe me, they cost me something, you're gonna rob the potential that God has for your life. Steal your joy, steal your peace. You need to let go of the bitterness. And here's the thing about forgiveness that's so radical. It's so amazing. Forgiveness, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't say what they did was okay. Forgiveness is saying, I'm canceling the debt. I'm canceling the debt because you can't pay it. That's what Jesus did for us. He went on the cross for us. And he says, I'm gonna pay the debt for you, knowing you'll never be able to repay it all, but I'm gonna cancel it all and wipe your slate clean so that you could have a new life. Come on, aren't you grateful for that today? He canceled the debt. He paid it all. And so choose forgiveness. Choose to let things go. Don't live with this bitterness and this grudge. Man, if there's somebody that you need to make amends to today, I just encourage you to do that. Don't wait. Time doesn't heal all things. Time just kind of prolongs the situation. Make amends now. Some of you keep rationalizing why I shouldn't forgive. Forget it, just do it. Choose forgiveness and it's difficult, it's hard, but my encouragement is to you to do that. So you gotta use what you got. Forgiveness leads to freedom. And the last not so nice thing that Jesus says is found in John chapter six, 
Verse 53, it says, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. My last point for you today, I could not wordsmith it. I couldn't figure out anything clever to say. I just said, eat my body. Drink my blood? What? You can thank Pastor Stan for this one, okay? He's like, you're gonna preach about this. I'm like, what? The vampires love it, right? (laughs) The rest of us are like, what the heck does this mean? Jesus is saying this to an audience that doesn't even eat pork. And he's like, eat my body, drink my blood. What is Jesus talking about here? I'm going to do the best I can. Saturday night was rough, so you're going to get a better one today, all right? <laughs> oh, man. There are parts of the Bible, like I said, that just are re- really confusing, like just really difficult to understand. This was a really tough one for me this week to really kind of figure out what Jesus is talking about here. So Jesus, he's, he's saying this to his disciples, and uh, the disciples really don't understand what he, Jesus is saying either. But they have, to, they have to learn to trust Jesus and what he has to say, even when they don't understand it. And, and some of us are in a season of life right now where you're, you're like the disciples. I don't understand why Jesus has placed me in this season, but I'm just going to trust what he has to say, even when I don't understand it. And this is where the disciples are at about this, eat my body, drink my blood. It's complicated. It's awkward. I mean, should we take this literally, right? Should we take the Bible literally? Yes or no? Okay, you're like, I'm getting deep theology on you today, all right? Should we take the Bible literally? Yes, right? Uh, But there's two types of uh, literal, right? There's plain literal and figurative literal. When When you use a figure of speech, are you still communicating a literal truth? Yeah, we do it all the time. Like, like I'm so hungry, I really could eat a pizza right now, all right? Is that plain literal or figurative literal? That's plain literal. I really want a pizza right now. I didn't eat breakfast, all right? Some of you are like, why do you eat pizza for breakfast? It's good, trust me, try it. <laughs> if I say, I'm so, I'm so hungry, I'm starving, I could eat a horse. And you're like, first of all, where are you gonna get a horse? <laughs> How are you gonna eat a horse? It's still communicating that I really want a pizza. Maybe it's a big pizza, all right? It's still communicating literal truth. There are times in the Bible where God uses figures of speech to communicate literal truth. So we should take the Bible literally, right? Yes, so the question is, eat my body, drink my blood. Plain literal or figurative literal? If you say figurative, that means we're all cannibals, and that's not ideal. It is, it is figurative literal, okay? And so here's, here's what it is. Eat my body, drink my blood. Now, some... Uh, denominations believe that when, when Jesus is saying at the Last Supper, uh, that when he says, take my, take my body, eat it, and drink my uh, blood, and, and for this is, this is the blood, drink the juice, this is my blood. Some uh, religions and denominations believe that, that that's the actual body and blood of Jesus. And I want to be very careful here because some of you grew up with that idea, grew up in a certain denomination that believes that, and that cannot happen. The Bible very clearly says in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews that, that Christ was crucified once and for all. 
that he paid the debt, all right? So when we, when we take communion, it is not the, the actual body and blood of Jesus. What communion is when we take it once a month, this is what communion is. It, is. it is remembering what Christ did for us on the cross. That when we eat the bread, that it, it represents the body of Christ that was beaten, that was broken, that was humiliated for us on the cross. And then when we take the juice or the wine, we, we take that and it's a remembering it's remembering the blood that was shed upon the cross for us for the forgiveness of the sins of, of the world so that we could have our slate white clean. So when we take communion, it's not the actual body and blood. We're not eating his body, drink my blood. But when, when we take communion, we are remembering. We are remembering what Christ did for us on the cross. And we're going to take communion here in just a moment. I asked the band to sing this, this song about nothing but the blood of Jesus. And, and in John chapter six, this whole conversation about eat my body, drink my blood, he's really talking about eternal life. There's, there's things that Jesus was saying that when you, I'm the bread of life. When you eat this, you receive eternal life. When you drink this, this is the, 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 the blood that I was poured out for me for, for your sins. Now, when you take communion, it doesn't mean that you're saved, but Jesus is saying, man, when you have a relationship with me, when you make me the Lord of your life, and when we take communion together, you're remembering all that he paid for you on the cross. You remember the work that he did on the cross so that we could have access to eternal life. And so that's why we take communion together. And so a couple thoughts as we just wrap up. God wants a real relationship with you. He wants a heartfelt relationship, a passionate relationship with you. And I believe there's three types of people here in this, in this room. There's some of you who say, I want nothing to do with Jesus. On the outside, your life really looks like you are not living for Christ. You're making decisions that are not lining up with God's word. And you're saying, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. And I pray that by the end of this message, the end of the service, that you would make that decision to follow Jesus. I guarantee it would be the best decision you've ever made. There's some of us in this room who are like covert Christians. Like we don't, we say that we believe, but inside we want nothing to do with Jesus. You're kind of like Judas Iscariot who's followed Jesus. And you know, he really didn't believe in his heart that Jesus was Lord. I mean, he literally betrayed Jesus. And some of you come to church, do the motions, do the thing. Your spouse forced you to come here. You're just coming because your kids love kids life. And you're here and you're like, I really don't want anything to do with Jesus. And on the outside, your life looks like you're, you believe in Jesus, but on the inside, you haven't made him the Lord of your life. And I hope by the end of this service that you would make that decision. And the last of us is those who have called ourselves Christians, believe in our heart that he is the Lord of our life. And it doesn't make, sometimes life doesn't make sense. Some passages of scripture are like, man, that's really confusing. But God is just asking us to trust him. Yeah, it's difficult to forgive. But Christ forgave us, paid the debt for us. Yeah, it's difficult to, to make time out of our schedule and say, okay, I'm gonna use this. I'm gonna serve at least once a month in some sort of ministry here at the church and make time to use the gifts and the talents and be a multiplier of the talents and abilities he's given you. It's not always easy. It's, there's seasons of life, I'm telling you. I, there's seasons of my life. I'm in a season right where I don't understand what God's trying to teach me and um, you might be there today. We just got to learn to trust him. 
trust what he has to say, even when it doesn't make sense, when it's confusing. And so when we take communion together, everyone has access to the table to take communion. But we ask that you recognize that you are a sinner, that you need Jesus in your heart, and that you have made him the Lord of your life. And so before we take communion, I'm going to ask every head bow, every eye close in this place. I'm going to give a, an invitation for you, for those of you who have never made that decision to follow Jesus. And when you make that decision, you can have access to the table and take communion together as a church family. So maybe you're here today and you're saying, man, I, you came in, you're like, I literally want nothing to do with Jesus. And maybe God is stirring your heart right now. The spirit is moving and God's saying, man, it's time. It's your time to make this decision. Stop playing games. Stop making poor decisions and make me the Lord of your life. Maybe some of you here today are just playing the game of being a Christian. And deep down, deep down inside your heart, you don't really believe that Jesus is Lord. You just come do the outside motions. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've accepted Jesus a long time ago, but maybe you've strayed away from walking with Jesus. Today could be your day. So if there's anybody here today, you're saying, Josh, I want to make the best decision of my life. Would you just slip your hand up for me so I can see? Is there anybody here today that would say, yes, I see you in the back. Is there anybody else that say, I want to make the greatest decision? All right. So I'm going to ask us all to pray this prayer. It's not a special formula. It's not something magical that happens. It's just a pray, prayer of, of, of surrendering to God, saying, God, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. Can you repeat, repeat after me? Lord, I accept you into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Thank you for forgiving the debt that I couldn't pay. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we just give it up for that one person that accepted Christ into their life? What an amazing day. And so I've asked you if, you, if you have the communion elements, get those ready, but I asked the team to play this song, meditate on what Christ has did for you, and we'll take communion right after this song. Your glory is so beautiful. 
Stand today. 
I hope you've received the elements. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I'm taking this from Matthew 26, verse 26. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat for this is my body. Body that was broken, beaten, humiliated on the cross so that we could experience eternal freedom. Would you take that today? And then it says in verse 27, he says, he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and saying, drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Remember, forgiveness sets us free on the inside so that we can live free on the outside. And so I've hoped that you've experienced that freedom today. Would you take the juice with me? God, thank you. Thank you for your word that every time we open it, it has the power to change us and transform us from the inside out. Lord, I pray that as we have learned from your word, these difficult statements, Lord, I pray that people would meditate on those, Lord, that they would begin to hear what you have to say to them. Lord, if there's bitterness or resentment, Lord, that they would work that out. Lord, if they've been maybe playing excuses or being lazy with the, with the talents and gifts you've given them, I pray that, that you would begin to do a work in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we love you guys. These altars are open if you want to uh, work some stuff out. But other than that, we love you guys, and we'll see you next weekend.